Well, there are, uh, there are some words you just don't say, or maybe you shouldn't say, right? You grow up, your parents said, no, don't say it. That's, that's a bad word. No, don't do that. And we describe them by indicating maybe how many letters there are in the forbidden word. Four letters, don't, no, don't do that. Sometimes we describe them by using the first letter of the forbidden word. And I think these days it's like the N word, don't say, and they describe it that way. The whatever letter, word, don't say that word. I'm sure you had some taboo words for your family as well. For our kids growing up, it was the S word. Let me explain. When our boys were little guys, and we just had boys, <laughs> they were very disturbed by one kid at church calling them the S word. Now, before Becky and I were to confront the little child's parents about their child and the, and the choice of, of that child's words to our, our kids, we investigated it a little further with our boys and discovered that the S word that caused such an uproar among them was the word stupid. <laughs> the word stupid. Now, we had taught our boys not to say that to others because it wasn't nice, and they defined it as the S word. So there are words sometimes we choose not to say, and we make sure that our kids don't say them too because it's just not nice or it's not right. In the next few Sundays, we're going to explore another word that some might call the E word, the E word. And for lots of reasons, most Christians almost never share their faith. I, if we were to take a, a poll here today among those who are with us, and maybe online as well too, uh, in the last six months, how many times have you, and you don't have to answer this, how many times have you shared your faith? How many times did you witness to somebody in the last six months? And as we consider that, then you can probably understand, yeah, I guess so. We really don't share our faith sometimes as much as we should. But some people are so uncomfortable with evangelism that they should pr probably call it the E-word. In this series of messages for the next few Sundays, we'll talk about sharing our faith in ways that I hope, but I hope won't lead to massive discomfort or guilt. Don't want to guilt anybody to share their faith. But instead, I trust that it will lead to encouragement and empowerment as we look at the days ahead and we look at the opportunities we have before us to share our faith. And hopefully by the end of this series, Evangelism won't be the, just the E-word in your life anymore. It will be something that will be very common for you. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, is our, our text for the day. And in this situation, we have Jesus speaking, and he's sharing in the Sermon on the Mount about who we are as believers. In Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 13 through 16, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
<clears throat> Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Imagine with me, imagine if you will, uh, you're having a backyard barbecue. You've grilled some, some, some good steaks, juicy, thick steaks. I think I got Rod's attention right now. <laughs> and along with some baked potatoes and, and, some, and some corn, corn on the cob. You've invited all your neighbors over. It was daylight when you, when you started grilling, but by the time the food is ready, it's dark outside. Not that it took a whole long time. It's just towards the evening. So you turn on the lights, and everyone sits around the dining table, and you plop down the big hunk of sirloin steak on each plate. Your guests start unwrapping the baked potatoes and the corn on the cob. Then someone says, oh, could you please pass the salt? But there's no salt. You explain, this is a salt-free meal. Now, I've just lost Rod right now, I'm sure. You, you, you explain, there's no salt here. In fact, you didn't even salt the meat or the potatoes or even the corn before you cooked them. Now, I'm sure the interest level goes way down for those people who are at your barbecue. But they're still hungry, so someone takes a bland bite of corn and eh, trying to eat Have you ever tried to do that? Eat corn on the cob without any butter, any salt, nothing. Some corn on the cob is pretty good without it. Some good sweet corn on the cob. But there's others that you go, I wish I had some salt. But someone else starts chewing on a tasteless hunk of meat as they're looking at that sirloin steak. And no one even bothers to, to deal with the potatoes. And then to make matters worse, the electricity goes out. Now it's pitch black. No one can see their food. They can't see their plates. They can't even see the table. But they don't really care anyway because flavorless food isn't all that appealing. So there's no salt. There's no light. You know, that's the thing with, with followers of Jesus today. If they have an issue with evangelism, then they have an issue with being salt and light. And then if there's that issue there with all that, then life becomes a bland barbecue in the dark. And I think we need to take note of that. As Jesus has told us, Matthew 5, you are salt, you are light. We need to be that. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt will make you thirsty. Very true. Producing thirst, though, is only one of many things that salt does. I could, I could, I could say a, a whole bunch of things about salt. In fact, according to one website, there are numerous uses for salt other than cooking. Removing wine stains, blood stains, grease stains, grass stains. Making coffee taste less bitter. Cleaning the fridge. Sanitizing cutting boards, removing watermarks from wood, restore a sponge, relieve bee stings, soothe sunburns and poison ivy rashes, deodorize sneakers, very good, disinfect piercings, put, on a uh, put, out, <laughs> put out a grease fire, 
Use uh, as a natural mouthwash. Keep cheese from molding. Chill beverages fast. Test for rotten eggs. You place the egg in a bowl of salt water. If it sinks, it's good. If it floats, it's bad. Uh, make a cloudy vase sparkle again. There's a tip for Christy and her vases that she uses for flowers. Create non-drip candles. Create an ant barrier. And treat puffy eyes. But be careful, salt in the eyes does not feel good. But Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. And I'm sure there are many things I could say about light too. A uh, whole bunch of uses about light, but I, I, I'll have mercy on you and not uh, go through all that this morning. But what I want to do is share with you three things that both salt and light have in common. Three things, at least three things, that both salt and light have in common. For one thing, Salt and light are important for survival. Salt and light are important for survival. And we all know that light is essential. Nothing could grow, nothing could live without light. We wouldn't have these beautiful flowers before us if there wasn't any sunlight. Turn off the sunlight and the world would quickly die. Salt is also a necessity of life as well too, but we tend to take it for granted. After all, uh, you can pick up a pound of salt for just a few cents at any grocery store. It doesn't cost very much. But salt was not so easy to come by during the time of Christ. And in the days before refrigeration, of course, salt was, pri was the primary way to preserve meat. I always thought about that. In those days, probably meat was pretty salty back then. <laughs> and then you needed a lot of water, I suppose, too, as well. But when you need salt to preserve your food and when it is hard to find, it takes on great value. In fact, salt was sometimes used for money in the Roman economy. The word salary comes from the Latin word salarium. It refers to the practice of paying Roman soldiers with salt. How would you like that? Here's your bag of salt. Thank you for working today. When a soldier was doing a lousy job, his paycheck might be cut, which is how we got the expression, not worth his salt. But when Jesus said that his followers are salt and light, he was saying that Christians are essential for the survival of the world. It's no wonder Jesus said no one would ever light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. There's a good reason no one would do that. Remember, they didn't have electricity back then. If you put an oil lamp under a bowl, it would go out. It wouldn't go back on when you lift it up. It's just, it's out. It's snuffed out. And that is the point. You, you put your, if you put your lamp under a bowl, it will go out. Hide your relationships with God and it will be extinguished. It will be, there will be some effects about that. Take your light out in the open and it will burn brightly. And in the same way, if you let the salt out of its shaker, it can flavor all your food in other words, we have to get out there in, in the world and if, if we're going to, going to reach the world. We need to be out there. And that's why we're, we're looking at ways for our church to have opportunities to engage our community. We can't just stay in these four walls and say, come to us. Here we are. We're worshiping Jesus. We need to get out, outside these four walls and engage the community. That's why we're looking at doing the, the bouquets across the street in the community there, letting them know that, uh, you know, we are here. If you need anything, just let you know, welcome to the community. And yeah, God does love you. <laughs> 
And so being able to engage our community, we need to get outside these four walls. We can't just stay inside here. We need to get out of the salt shaker. <laughs> we need to be outside. We need to get there and engage with them. To do this, we have to take risks, right? Because it's pretty safe to stay inside our nice safety area. Just, I mean, for example, the, the quarantine, that for some of you, that was just great because you love that stuff, but others, they're like, get me out of here. But you were safe. You were, it was familiar to you. It was probably fairly comfortable to you to stay inside your house, stay there. And there weren't any risks that were taken if you stayed inside those walls. We as a church, as we get outside these four walls, there will be risks that will be taken. Risks of rejection. What if these people across the road say, oh, flowers? <laughs> okay, thanks. And they really don't appreciate what we do. I got to tell you, yeah, there are, there are risks, but you got to realize too, as you are obedient to God in what he has for you, you just be obedient and let the Holy Spirit take, take care of the rest. <laughs> it doesn't matter what they might think of what we do. What matters is that we are obedient to what God has for us. So you take your light out in the open. You need to do those things. But we may have to be inconvenienced as we do those. Take our light out in the open get salt out of the salt shaker we need to make we will be taking those risks and we might be inconvenienced we may need to put out some effort we might have to get our hands dirty a little bit or try something bold and new if we're going to be salt and light for those who need it and as a church we and, and the leadership of our church that's what we want to try to do we want to try to get out there and engage our community we're going to get our hands dirty we're going to need the courage and boldness from God as we move forward in this way. Salt and light are important for survival, and Christians are essential for the survival of the world. The second thing salt and light have in common is that salt and light can produce purity. Salt and light can produce purity. You know, nothing smells better than clothes that have been dried out in the sunlight. As some of you have those clotheslines, maybe even today, maybe not. <laughs> you have the clothes dryer, and that's, that's good. Um, I remember in Ohio when I was there, and uh, my babysitter, she would walk, walk me down the road to her grand, grandma, grandparents' house, and uh, an old house there, and they had that clothesline in the back. And she would have the clothes hanging on that line. I remember being out there, and seeing those clothes and, and uh, running through them. And as I ran through them, it was this, this, the, the freshness of the smell of the, of the clothes out there and the, the sunlight and the breeze. Nothing smells better than clothes that have been dried out in the sun. And few things smell worse than a pile of wet clothes that were left in a dark hamper for, for, for a few days. Maybe some of you experienced that before. I think that's one of the reasons why our green van always had a weird smell in it. <laughs> Wet, stinky soccer shoes, uniforms, and goalie gloves from our three boys over the years. Uh, 
and discovering a soccer bag in the laundry room that hasn't been opened and washed for a bit. It's like, whoa, let's take this outside. This is toxic. Stuff that just lands in a pile of clothes that's just wet and stinky. It's horrible. The salt also has purifying qualities as well. It can be used in wounds to speed healing. In my research and preparing for, for today, I discovered that salt water helps to clean and promote healing by a process called osmosis. Now, the sodium chloride of salt forces the liquid in the cells to move out of the body when it comes in contact with them. If those liquids are bacterial, they'll, they'll be forced out too, helping to cleanse the skin. That's why you, you gargle with salt water for your throat or those types of things. It cleanses, it, it heals. Now we talk about, we still talk about rubbing salt into the wound. It may be painful, but it produces healing. Mothers used to rub salt on their newborn babies to protect them from infection. I don't know if that still goes on today. But in the Old Testament, salt was used in order to make sacrifices acceptable to God. Jesus made a puzzling statement when he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he says, If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And in a technical sense, salt cannot lose its saltiness. <laughs> Sodium chloride is a stable compound. It, it, it's, it's just there. But the people of Jesus' day understood what he was talking about. In the part of the world where Jesus lived, salt was collected from around the, the Dead Sea. And the salt crystals there were often contaminated with other minerals and impurities. So you had a mixture of things going on. And since the, the actual salt was more soluble than the impurities, rain could wash out the salt. And of course, you'd be left there with all these minerals. That unsalty salt was worthless. And if someone gave it to you, you'd probably just go, yeah, thank you, and throw it and dump it out on the ground. It belongs back on the ground. It doesn't belong on my, on my pretzel or in my steak. And uh, again, just like Jesus said, to be trampled by men. And the Greek word for, uh, that was used for unsalty salt is moreno. Moreno. It's the word from which we get the term moron. Now, Christians who are contaminated by sin will lose their effectiveness. When you don't show that there's a difference in your life between those who don't follow Christ, there's a problem. And so when you are contaminated by sin in your life, you lose that effectiveness of a, of a witness. A Jesus follower who lives like the rest of the world and then tries to witness for Christ will look like a fool. <laughs> will look like a moreno. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. You tell me you're a Christ follower, but you don't follow Christ? You don't do what he says. Why should I follow Christ? That seems silly. If it's just the same lifestyle that you're living that I'm living, it becomes foolish. If a seasoning has no flavor, it has no value. If Christians make no effort to affect the world around them, they are of little value to God. If we are too much like the world, we 
are worthless. Followers of Jesus should not blend in with everyone else. Instead, we should affect others positively, just as seasoning brings out the best flavor in food. And you can take that illustration away where too much salt is going to cause some problems as well, too. But that's why it matters where you go, who you spend time with, what sites you visit on the Internet, uh, what movies you watch, what books or magazines you read, what TV shows you watch, all those things you input in your life, and then it becomes part of you and you live it out. There's just a problem then where we become too much mixed in of the world. How can you have a purifying effect if you yourself have become contaminated by the world? Now, I'm not saying that this is an easy thing to do, but uh, these are two extremes. There are two extremes we have to avoid. In our day and age, Christians get too involved in the culture and become contaminated by it, become too much like the world. But the other extreme is just as dangerous. Like I said, too much salt is going to turn you away. It is best illustrated by the monastic culture that was prevalent in the Middle Ages. Certain priests and monks would shut themselves away in monasteries so they could stay completely pure. I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to keep myself holy. And as they do, there's, you know, nobody can come through. Stay away. I'm trying to stay clean. That may have worked in some ways, but it also caused the church to lose influence in the everyday world of most people. Churches can fall into that same trap. We want to protect ourselves and our, and our families from the world, but if we go too far in separating ourselves from the culture, what influence will we have? That's where we are in the world, but not of it, right? And so we make that distinction so that we can be among them, but not of them. Someone said uh, when the church retreats into the monastery of the four-walled church building, they cease to be of any use. Their light, is ex- their light is extinguished under a bowl, and their salt loses its flavor. I couldn't agree more. So how can, uh, how can we stay pure while still being out there in the real world? How can we do that and still remain pure? Jesus answered that question in verse 14 of Matthew 5. After he said, you are the light of the world, he explained further, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. What does that mean? I'm not a city, I'm only one person. You're not a city, you're only one person. I'm only one candle in the darkness, but I was never meant to shine alone, and you were never meant to shine alone as well. When we gather together, we help each other stay pure. There's accountability. There's encouragement. All these things coming together as we join together as a church. We encourage each other. We hold each other accountable so that we are ready to go back into the world. And that's why it's good for you to be here today, no matter what kind of COVID restrictions are in place. It's good for those who are online joining us as well, too. Because I understand there are some things that, that, that keep you from being here. But as we join together like this online and also to in person, it's important that we do so. So that we can come together and encourage one another, keep each other accountable. 
I'm sure after church here today, you're probably going to head to the back or maybe right there and just talk and share a little bit, and that's fine. And sometimes in your conversation, you're probably going to share some requests or maybe some situations you're going through and be able to um, know how to pray for one another. Know how to keep each other accountable in some situations as well, too. I trust that you have someone in your life that you can go to to be accountable to. That you've asked someone to keep you accountable in your life in some way. And you have your spouse, and that's good. You need to have that, and that's kind of a given that your spouse will keep you accountable. But there's also something, too, about a very good friend that will keep you accountable as well. You need to find one like that if you don't have one. But when we gather together, that's the accountability, the encouragement happens. In in attending Sunday school class, we have Mike, who is giving us a a great lesson on evangelism, discipleship, and you guys are learning about that, uh, coming together and, and, and encouraging one another in that way. We also, too, of course, uh, we have Steph leading the young people in a Sunday school class online, be able to uh, learn more about what God has for them. And not just Mike's not just in person for his group. It's also hybrid. So I mean, if you can't make it, you can join in online as well, too. But to attach yourself in some way to a group that's learning more about God's word and more about what he has for, for them is important. It's important to have that community. That's why... We have that. We're going to start up the Bible study group again on Wednesday. It's been a while. But if you were part of that group before, you sensed kind of like a, a small group going on, which wasn't closed. And, and it was open wide to anybody who wanted to come. But it's a great opportunity to find out how people are doing, knowing how to pray for one another. Of course, studying God's word, but coming together in fellowship, <clears throat> very important. We can't stay salty and shine brightly on our own. We might be able to for a little bit. But for long term, I don't see that happening. We were designed to spend time in community with other believers. <laughs> just, just go back to November, the first Sunday of November, we had our first in-person service. <laughs> you guys were like, finally, we can be together. But you got to be masked. You can't touch anybody. <laughs> But usually, like, I don't care. I want to see people. You yearned for that. You wanted to be together. We're designed to be in community with other believers. God's plan is for us to be a city on a hill. No one can put a whole city under a bowl. And when we shine together, we can reach far out into the darkness. So salt and light can produce purity. And followers of Jesus need to remain pure and spend time together in order, in order to be effective witnesses. And then thirdly, um, both salt and light have one, one more thing in common. Salt and light will reveal truth. Salt and light will reveal truth. When I sprinkle salt on, on, on a juicy piece of steak, I don't up, uh, end up saying, wow, that was great salt. <laughs> Salt on steak brings out the steak flavor. I said, wow, that's a great taste in steak. Salt on popcorn brings out the popcorn taste. Salt on watermelon brings out the flavor, or so I've been told. Um, (laughs) Salt on a pretzel brings out the essence of the pretzel. Even recipes for cookies or cakes call for at least a dash of salt. 
You see, salt enhances the flavor of anything it touches. And that's the effect you have at home, at work, at school, uh, in the church or in your neighborhood. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will just naturally enhance the environment around you everywhere you go. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's not necessary to preach to others or debate with them. You don't have to do that. The way we talk, the way we act, the way we react to stress at, at work or at home or school or work, that will make a difference. That will speak volumes. If our conversation is full of grace, seasoned with salt, we will draw attention, not to ourselves, but to the one who we follow. That's how we can be the salt of the earth in our daily lives. Salt always, always enhances flavor. And light always reveals the truth. Always. When you turn the light on in a dark room, you don't think much about the light itself. Instead, you look at what the light reveals. Light illuminates the room. You see furniture or decorations that were hidden by the darkness. If it's dirty, you see the dirt. If, if it's beautiful, you enjoy the beauty. Light reveals the truth. You get up in the morning, you get in the bathroom, turn on the light in the bathroom, and it reveals the truth about me. There I am. Oh, boy. Light reveals truth. If we live for Christ, we will glow like lights, showing others what Christ is like. But maybe we've, we, we may be tempted to hide our light, maybe by being quiet when we should speak, maybe by going along with the crowd, maybe by denying the light, maybe by letting sin dim our light, maybe not explaining our light to others. Or maybe also to ignoring the needs of others. That's how our light can grow dim, be covered up. Be a beacon of truth. Don't, don't shut your light off from the rest of the world. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you, you give light wherever you go. Just by being who you are, you, you help people see the truth about God. And also, too, about their own lives as well. You ever had that? before they know you're a christian so you walk into the room maybe among co-workers or whatever and, and they're not really christians and they stop talking because maybe they're saying some things that maybe you might not approve they just know your light shines people see that it is amazing the effect that one christian can have when they love other people the way jesus loves them i remember in youth ministry taking the youth group to uh, caves in Central Oregon, go spelunking. Now I think Rod and Kim took you guys and youth plenty of times doing that. And uh, on one occasion for the youth group, when we were there, and, and I was leading the youth group at Labish Center, and another guy came with us who was kind of our guide actually. He he know, knew the caves quite a bit. One of the parents there at the church and. Leading us on down in, uh, before that, he said, get your, get your flashlights ready to go, make sure they're working. And so we did that up there above ground course in the daylight. Turn on the flashlight and look at it and go on, 
I think it's working. <laughs> the sunlight's coming down. You can't quite tell. I think it's on. And so as we made sure our flashlights were ready to go, we then descended down into the cave and continued on. And some of these caves are huge, gigantic. You just walk on through. And, and as you go further down in, in this one particular cave, we went down further, and it started to get more narrow and more narrow and lower. I was like, I'm not liking this very much. But as we got further away from the exit, it got darker and darker. But the flashlight got brighter and brighter because it, you could tell it was on in that darkness. You could notice it. And we got to a certain area then that was really tiny. And uh, the guy said, okay, everyone gather around here. I'll turn out your light. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. I hope it goes back on. Turn out your light. So we turned out our lights, and we could not even see our hand in front of our face. It was that dark. And to be able to look around, you're like, I, am I blinking? Is my, are my eyes open or closed? I can't tell. It's so dark. And then we had a little lesson on light and darkness. And then um, we all turned on our flashlights, and it's like, whoa, that's, that's bright. I can see things now. And we were able to get on out of there, of course, with our little tiny flashlights heading on out. That little flashlight that didn't even seem like it was on very much at all above ground among the sunlight was very effective down below in the cave where there was darkness. And you may feel like your light is no bigger than that little flashlight. What can I do? I just have this little light shining. There's not much I can do with this at all. But you can you hardly see it in the bright sunlight. But your light shines the brightest in the darkness. And we need to be that light shining in the darkness. This world is a dark place. They need to see the hope. They need to see the love of Christ. And you have that light within you. And we need to shine. A small light grabs your attention. It gives a point of reference. And if you needed to, you could make your way toward it. Shine your light, because there's a lot of people out there that are looking for a reference. They're looking for a way out. And they can come towards that light. As Christians, we should not ever be afraid to come in contact with darkness. Darkness is passive. Darkness is nothing but the absence of light. And when the light of Christ enters, the darkness always gives way. Always gives way. Salt and light will reveal truth. And followers of Jesus need to be ready and willing to do the same. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus did not, what he did not say. He didn't say, you need to become salt and light. You don't have to worry about how you can get salty. You don't have to figure out how to shine if you're a Christian because you are salt and light. That's what Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are that. In fact, this room is full of salt and light right now. But the pur purpose of shining together is not to draw attention to ourselves so that people... People say, wow, what a great church that is over there in Happy Valley. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to draw attention to the truth and to the one we follow. 
So giving bouquets across the street is to let them know how great of a church there is across the street from you. Come join us. It's to let them know how great a Savior calls their name, wants a relationship with them, an opportunity to be able to share more. When we go out into our community, people will see how great our God is. They will be drawn to Jesus Christ. So do you feel like evangelism in your life has only been an E-word you awkwardly avoid? Be reminded that we are salt and light. You just need to let our light shine and get our salt out of the salt shaker. So shine and shake it out. Shine and shake it out. If you're not a Christian today, those of you who are online, you're here today, I hope you can see the truth. I hope you can understand Jesus calls your name. He wants a relationship with you. You need to come to him. Come to Jesus who, who will give you life everlasting. And you're only a prayer away. And it will make your life worth living. Invite Andy and John to come back up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs. And if you need to respond to God's message in, in some way for you today, uh, uh, please come and pray. The altar's open, those who want to do that. Those who are online, you can create that special place between you and God right there, and you can have a time of prayer. If the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart, the only thing that you need to do is you just need to obey. Evangelism, uh, an E-word in your life that you avoid, are you salt and light, as Jesus tells you you are? We need to be that among the people around us. Do you need courage and boldness to do that? Your prayer away. You just need to ask Jesus to help you, give you opportunities to be able to do that. So while we sing these, uh, these songs, if you want to come and pray, please do that. Um, but uh, let's, let's, uh, let's act in obedience as the Holy Spirit prompts us.